quick note before we begin the episode. Episode 200 is fast approaching, and to mark the occasion, Hussam and I will host a special Q&A session with questions from you lovely treasurers. Click on the link in the show notes to submit your question, and we will even send a $10 gift card for our favorite five questions. It can be about careers, treasury, corporate treasury 101, or even what Hussam's favorite ice cream flavor is. Deadline to submit your question is December 15th. Have a lovely episode. Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. In today's episode, we discuss FX risk management in Latin America and much more with Mateus Zani from Diaglo. Mateus Zani is the head of FX risk management at Diaglo. He holds the distinction of being the company's first employee having joined in 2020. With numerous years of experience in consulting roles, Mateus has a proven track record of collaborating with companies across Latin America. Diaglo is a fintech firm that offers FX risk management solutions to institutional funds raising foreign capital, investors relocating overseas, and corporations expanding and operating globally. In the episode of today, expect to learn what are restricted currencies and how do they impact financial activities, what challenges do businesses and investors face due to currency restrictions in Latin America, and how do these restrictions affect trade? How has the FX risk landscape changed in Latin America over the last decades? What are NDFs and why are they popular in Latin America? And like always, much, much more. Latin America is a fascinating region, especially when it comes to treasury, cash management, and of course, FX risk management activities. And we go to talk with an expert of the region, we truly hope you will enjoy this episode. If that is the case, and when you're thinking about how you found our podcast, chances are that it was through word of mouth, social media, or a recommendation from your favorite podcast platform. And this is our only request to you. The best way you can support the podcast is to head to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Corporate Treasury 101. That would mean the world to us and help much more people to learn about treasury. On another other note, this episode is brought to you by Automation Boutique. Automation Boutique is empowering treasury, finance, and risk management with tailored automation solutions. They use robotic process automation, RPA, AI, APIs, and Power Query to create automations that can work with your existing systems. We partnered with Automation Boutique as we really like their approach to innovation and how they help the industry. For this partnership, they came up with an AI-powered automation self-scan that can help you find out if a business process is suitable for automation and how to best get started. It is totally free, non-intrusive, and only takes about 15 minutes. What's great is that the report you will get from the scan helps you determine if the benefits of the automation outweigh the costs. If you want to have a look, head to the link in the description or to automationboutique.com slash corporate treasury 101. With all that being said, please welcome Matthias Zani. Matthias, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Um, can you maybe start by explaining to us what exactly are restricted currency? What is it and why do they exist? 
No, for sure. No, first, uh, thank you for having me here today. It'll be a pleasure to share a bit of my experience uh, with the whole audience. Uh, regarding your question, uh, restricted currencies are foreign currencies subject to government-imposed controls, pretty much. Uh, so often to manage capital flows, uh, preserve for exchange reserves of these governments, or né, uh, this currency can be impacted by the monetary monetary policy of these governments. So pretty much it is is uh, actions from the government side that can impact uh, the currency value of the currency pair. So why would uh, why would the government? That's interesting. Why would the government want to preserve the foreign exchange reserves of its country? Like, what's the what's the interest for them in doing that? Uh, that's a that's a good question. And to answer you, uh, I will give you a couple of examples. Uh, let, let's use Latin America as as the uh, example here because it's the purpose of this uh, interview. No? Uh, in Latin, some of the uh, some of the restricted currencies uh, include the Argentine peso, uh, Venezuelan Bolivar, and occasionally the Brazilian real. Okay, I can mention these three currencies, and the government of these countries uh, they use this kind of uh, actions or policies uh, to preserve the foreign exchange reserve. They or they want to use this to preserve the value of the currency of that country. Okay, uh, most of the time against super uh, depreciation against uh, against the dollar. Okay, so uh, or if you look at the inflation side as well, uh, the government uses these uh, these policies to try to cap the inflation uh, impacts. Uh, a good example of that. Argentina and Venezuela. Uh, Argentine peso has limited access to foreign uh, currency, mostly because the hyperinflation. Now, I think we can explore this uh, later in this interview. Argentina has, I think, more than 120% of inflation, which is quite a high. Uh, and in Venezuela and Bolivar, it's pretty much the same. Uh, so both, both currencies face extreme exchange rate of volatility. Uh, and the governments, né, in order to bring down this volatility né, and also to combat the, the negative impact of the inflation, they use this, uh, these actions, they use these policies to, to manage the currency value of the currency. Super clear. So if those governments wouldn't be restricting their currencies, they would be a bit open on the market, right? And if any country wants to purchase some of those, those governments would have to issue more money leading to easier inflation rates and more volatility. So it's a kind of way to mitigate that. Super interesting. So I think you mentioned two or three of them uh, without <laughs> maybe going to all the currencies in Latin America, but typically what are the big currencies in Latin America? Because indeed the idea is a bit to focus on this region. Which ones are considered restricted? And then what are the challenges that come with that? Yeah, as I mentioned, I think uh, on top of my mind, let's say Argentine peso, uh, Ecuador. Ecuador is slightly difficult because the uh, Ecuador adopts the dollar as official currency in 2000, mm -hmm. exactly to in order to stabilize uh, its economy. But uh, I think the hottest currency now that I can say that's completely restricted currency is Argentine peso. Uh, 
uh, very recently the uh, Argentinian government uh, implemented strict controls uh, on the on the facts and uh, so in order to companies né, and business to access uh, this liquidity has been quite difficult so business that it, as you know Argentina has uh, a very like large exporter background so exporting cereals um, cattle and so on so in order to this agro business to bring converting dollars to uh, to Argentine business is quite difficult they have limited uh, limited uh, liquidity and the opposite is the same as well né? for Argentine important companies that want to to the acquisition, to the purchase of some um, some goods, it's quite difficult. It's quite difficult because they don't, they're not, they are not able to convert the the Argentine peso to US dollars. So uh, they have some limitations per per trade, limitations per week. So it's not like fully open. Yeah, you need you need to respect the regulations of the central bank of, of the country. I, I think then currently Brazilian national peso. Chilean peso, Colombian peso. I think they, we can say they are off this list. They are much more like uh, open in, in, in the tax market. You have a plenty of liquidity. The central banks, they are very solid entities in, in those countries. So you can, and they are very pro-business, pro-market. They don't want to put uh, barrels or obstacles in the curves because they know the, the negative impact that can't can generate in their in their economy. So I think uh, for now I would stay with the Argentina peso and the Venezuela Bolivar. So this when countries have these restricted currencies, how does that affect the foreign investment market? So say I'm a corporate inside a country that um, has a restricted currency like Argentina or Ecuador, and um, how will that affect the type of investment that I'm likely to get or the trade I can do externally? That, that, that's a good question. Huh? Uh, I believe the, the international investor, uh, either uh, family office or other governments or large fund managers, they do a very strict due diligence uh, in that country, uh, the destination of the investment. They need to, they need to understand the the regulatory framework of that country, they need to understand the political risks. And, and, and right now, more and more, we are seeing that the, the checkbox of currency is one of, let's say, one of the most important components when investing overseas in those countries. No? Because first, you can have a large depreciation. So we, you allocate your capital, but let's, uh, say, uh, let's use Brazil real as a, a good example. Let's say that you allocate your capital into a, a, a five real per dollar now, today. But uh, this, we know there's a long term investment. Oh, so let's say 10 years, uh, five years is a very large uh, horizon uh, to make uh, the, the gain of the capital and, and make this investment profitable. But uh, the risk is. The currency first, uh, the depreciation of the currency against the, the dollar. So this BRL can jump from five to seven to eight. So just in this depreciation, you have like a large uh, losses né, in your investment. Second, in other countries, you can put your capital in the country, but you're not able to remove this to 
to bring it, né, to uh, move away of, of this country, né? So that's very difficult. There's a, a, a very serious implications and that all investors must must uh, to have in mind. This happened quite often, not in Latin, but I would say Africa uh, countries such as Nigeria. Uh, we have seen that uh, a lot of businesses are struggling to to collect their dividends from the, the companies in, in Nigeria uh, or if they, they plan to do some exit they're not able to, to collect the, the value of the, the company that they sold so there's a, a lot of implications so these uh, managers must do a very large due diligence very serious due diligence to that to, 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 to grab the big picture when investing in, in those countries right? and FX risk has been I think one top top three really of the concerns of these uh, international investors allocating in Latin or in general emerging markets. So from the corporate side, you need to watch out if you're sitting inside one of these restricted currency zones that um, foreign investors are less likely to come to you or have all these other considerations just due to the fact that you're operating in a current or in an economy that has that currency, right? What about the other way around? Like for someone, for a corporate inside that country that has, um, that is operating in Argentinian pesos, for example, how does that affect their business operations day to day? Like, I guess locally it's a very different international, uh, a very different scenario versus internationally. So an Argentinian steak company, because Argentinian beef is super popular, um, how do they need to? What's different about their business operations versus a U.S. state company? Ah, they need to be mo much more sophisticated, much more creative in order to to address these uh, implications, the negative implications. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, foreign quarter that need to has a, a, a liability in for exchange in dollar or in euro. That uh, they need to have a very good uh, planning in order to to pay this this liability. Okay. Why? Yeah. Because tomorrow the government can say, oh, no, uh, now have a, a limit, uh, any, all, all companies of, of this country must uh, have the right only to buy 100k dollars, but your liability is 1 million dollars. Okay. How will you be able to, 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 to pay this liability yeah? and avoid any kind of default? Yeah? Uh, so must be creative to have like offshore entities set up with some dollar uh, reserves uh, be able to uh, to access uh, offshore liquidity able to have a uh, relationship with different counterparts this is another way to diversify the your treasure uh, because you'll be able to find liquidity from different counterparts no? this, this is one of the, the, the good strategies but um, yeah, I'd say in general, it's, it's quite difficult. It's quite difficult uh, to be able to address all the, the negative implications. Eh? Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that and also have a very solid team that eh? able to run more accuracy cash flows, taking consideration um, this this volatility of, of the mind, not only the currency, but uh, uh, the actions of the central bank—it's—it's uh, it's, it's not easy at all. It's not easy at all 
that we have seen more and more Argentinian companies uh, trying to to escalate their businesses. Yeah? So, but in order to escalate their business, first they need to structure some offshore uh, structure to assess other markets and and also uh, able to uh, to create this bank relationship. Yeah? But uh, they struggle in the fact that because they are from Argentina, they they don't have that high quality of credit. Um, the counterparts uh, run their models in terms of credit. Also, penalize just because it's Argentina, because they, they, they are aware, uh, they are aware of the central bank uh, actions, the government action, most in the, in the top of that. So it's, it's quite difficult. It's not easy. It's not like a, a country uh, like Brazil or Colombia or Mexico, um, where they are much more open, they are more transparent. Uh, the political risk is, it's, it's still there, but uh, it's not uh, elev elevated as such as in, in Argentina, Venezuela, and, and so on. Uh, so it's, it's, easy, it's easier to make business uh, when you have this environment uh, lower currency risk, lower political risk, economic risk, and so on. Super clear. Is there a general trend that you see going on on restricted currencies? Like, is it across LATAM if we focus there? Um, is the situation getting quote unquote better or worse in general, or is it just very unique country? It is very unique country by country. Uh, let's say Mexico. Uh, Mexico has generally maintained uh, a more stable currency or, or currency environment, let's say, over the last years. Um, we have seen that they are they have a, a international policy much more. Uh, open and again pro 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 market, né? but it's essential né, to monitor the peso's performance as economic and political events can influence its value. Né? Uh, Mexico has a long history of political conflicts. Né? Uh, political agenda is, is not that clear, so that can can have a, a direct effect on the in the value of the Mexican peso. Né? Uh, other example, Chile. Né? Chile is the same thing, very relatively stable, but uh, fluctuations can occur due to the factors like copper prices. So, when uh, Mexican is more political, Chilean peso is more related to the commodities. So, it's a commodity linked currency that we say here. Né? Uh, so, if the copper prices né, uh, it's higher, this can help the, the Chilean peso. And the other hand, on the other hand, see the copper price is, is lower. The currency can can be seen in a position of weakening uh, against the against the dollar. No, um, Peru. Now uh, the currency of Peru is Peruvian sol. So, some sometimes people think it's a Peruvian peso, but it's Peruvian sol. Uh, has experienced some volatility in the past as well. Uh, mainly due to political situation in the country, uh, and it, it's more, it's, it's not that in the past, it's recently in the last two years, we saw a lot of uh, negative implications due to the, the political environment. So it's important to business to monitor the political landscape, mainly in Peru. Uh, um, Brazil, um, Brazil. Uh, in the past, I would say it was a restricted currency, but uh, nowadays uh, it isn't. Uh, completely uh, pretty floating. 
But of course, uh, still have some uh, influence by the political economic factors. I would say that the, the second one, the, the economic factors, is a huge one. Okay, so government interventions, along with economic development, they have the the, the power to stabilize the currency or do the opposite, né? to increase the volatility of the Brazil real uh, over the time. Né? Ecuador, as I mentioned uh, previously, Ecuador adopted the, the dollar uh, as its official currency in, in 2000 to stabilize its economy. We have a similar discussion right now with Argentina as well. Né? Uh, some, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, the opposition uh, right now, because we have a presidential elections uh, coming, they are discussing how to adopt dollar as the, the, the main currency in the country. Uh, man, they have, of course, they have a lot of theory, experiencing behind of this proposal, man, mainly because uh, when, you, when you start using dollar, you may be able, may be able to address the, the high inflation uh, because in Ecuador, man, um, uh, Ecuador had, was very successful uh, adopting the dollar because we were able to, re to reduce the inflation, but it's, it's not true at all the times, okay? So yeah, it says each country has your unique uh, challenges, your unique uh, policies, and yeah, regarding the the curse. Okay, it's a bit from a corporate treasury and, and global um, standpoint. One of the challenges I see with those restricted currencies, and where it's particularly insightful for uh, impactful, sorry for treasurers, is when it comes to credit lines of any sort, right? Because especially big organizations who are often looking for a global banking partner for the whole region with one big revolving credit facility, for instance. In Latin America, the challenge is that you need to look at each country individually. Also, what are the capacities of the country and the bank itself when it comes to credit? Because some banks might not be able to um, provide you as a company with as much credit as you want, not because you don't have the right credit rating, but just because the currency is so restricted that they cannot issue such a big credit line. So it's an interesting it's an interesting challenge to tackle when you're in a corporate treasury. And also the interest rates vary, right, between uh, each country, making the whole credit part of an organization wanting to do business in that time much more, much more intricate, which is super interesting. <laughs> so, so yeah, sorry, what's your, what's your opinion on this, Matthews? No, you are completely right. No? Uh, mainly in the interest rate. No? Uh, right now we are in a period of, I'd say, almost all Latin countries are suffering with inflation, high inflation. And to address that, all the central banks start to, to hike rates. No? So as a result, we have increased borrowing costs, which that from the, the corporate side, that they face a lot of challenges regarding how they can restructure their debt with a, a cheaper uh, cost, but uh, it's very difficult in such environments of high interest rates. You know? uh, uh, one alternative to that uh, in the past was to, to ensure uh, foreign debt, mainly from the uh, USD like that, but uh, now it's also expensive. Uh, offshore, you have uh, uh, Fed rates around 5, 550, and in Europe, more or less the same situation. So, has been a very like challenging uh, market environment right now for those that depend on credit, seed, 
either domestic or offshore credits. Yeah, exactly. And so how is this, um, that's a perfect transition. How is this inflation uh, in Latin America overall, how does it affect treasury activities beyond the quick, obvious example of the credit cards? Yeah, uh, I would say for for companies that work in the retail sector, that inflation can uh, change very rapidly uh, the cost of the good and also the how they sell it to the to retail buyers. No, so uh, this environment of the high inflation, very volatile inflation, uh, adds a lot of complexity in the treasury uh, for all the, the departments of the company. Yeah? Um, uh, the buyers, the sellers, the, the pricing team, uh, and, and of course uh, the CFO that manage all the cash flow of the company. Uh? So high inflation is is, is a very um, um, yeah it's, it's a very difficult component to to quantify in terms how we can work with these numbers and, and maximize my cash flow uh, in terms of maximize my profit and reduce my, my, my costs. It's very, very, very tough uh, to deal with, with inflation. Eh? And, and, and the result of the inflation is, as, as we discussed uh, earlier, eh? is the high interest rates. Eh? High interest rates will lead to a higher borrowing of cost. So companies not only need to deal with the inflation in, the, in one point that is sell their mercancy, but also how to manage their cash flow in terms of uh, liquidity of the company, uh, how, how how much I need to finance my liability order to be to have a cash flow, uh, a proper cash flow you know, of the liabilities and assets at the same in the same bottomer. I think this this idea. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So maybe going a little bit deeper into navigating the foreign exchange landscape in Latin America. How does each country there um, differs in terms of its currencies regulation and challenges? What what have you seen there? Yeah, indeed, Latin America countries exhibit very diverse currency regulations and challenges. Now, for example, uh, Brazil is as uh, one of the largest economies in the region has its own unique currency that the Brazilian is mentioned here many times already and uh, a very complex economic environment. Uh, in contrast, Argentina has faced a recurring currency crisis in the, in the last year, very strict capital controls. Uh, Chile, on the, on the other hand, uh, has more open and stable uh, for exchange market, make it distinctive from its neighbors. But yes, it, each country has your unique situation. Uh, we cannot, in any, any possible way, to generalize uh, all the the, the, the the environment of the Latin America is just one sort trend or just one sort regulation or change. Each country has has your unique situation. And I guess the FX risk manager again coming back to the effect of that for treasurers and people doing treasury operations. That is, people look at LATAM as, as just LATAM, right? It's, it's South America. That's that's or, or Latin America, um, but if the situations are so different in terms of currency control and regulation, 
Is the FX risk management for that also very, very unique? Or like, can I, in, in one sentence then, right? My question, one sentence. If I'm a global treasury manager, right, with, uh, with a company that's working in all the different regions in the world, and can I realistically divide up the world into LATAM, USD, Euro, and Asia? Or do I need to, if I'm doing business in multiple areas of LATAM, do I really need to have a very specialized, tailored FX uh, risk management strategy for each country I'm operating in LATAM? Or can I generalize? Or is it as different as doing business in Argentina as it is in Peru, as it is in the US versus Europe? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, no, I think you cannot generalize your FX risk management. Um, uh, approach. I think each each country has different uh, market environments or market conditions. Uh, so we need to take this in consideration to put together a very solid effects effects risk management program. Uh, why? Even though all the derivatives are the same in superficial lines, I want to say uh, we have we are able to access liquidity. For uh, NDF, which is a non-deliverable forward, you have forwards available, options available, uh, cross-currency swaps, swaps. Now, in general lines, you, you are able to, to put together a hedge strategy using this instrument. But uh, how you deploy, how you build this hedge strategy, you defer country by country. Okay? For example, I cannot, uh, let's say, uh, book an EDF for uh, 24 months in Peru, but I can do this in Brazil. Why? Because in Brazil, uh, the market is, is, is cheaper than in Peru, okay? So we, we need to understand this liquidity, how far I can go with my hedging strategy. Or another example, I can place options, I can I can buy vanilla call codes or um, some other option structures in Chile, but I cannot do this in Peru. The same thing, I don't have liquidity for this, uh, this, this instrument. In Brazil, yeah, I may be able to go 24 months, 18 months out using options or using a, a cross-currency swap, but we need to understand how expensive it is. Yeah? Maybe it's, it's, it's cheaper to do a short-term hedging and roll over the position to match the effective cash flow, né? because we are able, né, you will be able to uh, minimize your cost doing short-term hedging harder than long-term hedges. Okay, but uh, in Colombia, I can go 24 months and it might be cheaper than in Brazil. Reality. So, of course, this is market uh, condition that can vary uh, every single day. But uh, these nuances that uh, the treasure team must be aware. Né? The instruments are the same, but the market conditions are completely different. You have each country has different volatility, each country has different ratio rate differential, each country has different liquidity to access these products. So, uh, in the end of the day, what you are doing in country A, you'll be very, very difficult to replicate for country B or country C. So, each country has your unique market conditions and uh, and therefore, you have a different risk management program and approach for that country. Mm. Have you ever been doing this for a decent amount of time? Do you have any good examples of like uh, 
FX risk management strategies you've seen implemented in this region. And either it would be interesting if you give examples specifically on uh, the dangers of generalizing LATAM uh, versus the successes of generalizing, of specifying your FX risk management strategy in across different countries in LATAM. Do you have any examples no. you could share with us of like success no, stories? No, for, for sure. Nah. Uh, I can say mainly in Brazil where our clients are, are based right now because we have a such a high interest rate differential now, which is a higher hedging cost that uh, deploying NADFs to hedge the curves risk can be quite expensive and for, for those firms that it needs to be long dollars and, and sell Brazil real. No? So we performed like many uh, analysis simulations here where we were able to showcase that hedging through NADFs will be much higher with né, uh, while hedging with options structure would be cheaper né? because the way that options uh, are priced uh, takes into consideration three main components. Né? The first one, of course, is the interest rate differential. The second one, the volatility of the currency pair. And the third one is the time to decay and as a time to the maturity of the contract. So when we analyze NADFs, the first component is the only one that price NADFs, the interest rate differential, okay? So if you want to hedge for uh, exposure 12 months out, using NADF is much, um, be, the cost will be higher when hedging through options because the option, because it's the three, main, three components, we can try to optimize the strikes of the, the options and, and the same, uh, the same time that we were able to uh, cap the downside risk, that optimizing the, the strike, we were able to have some upside participation. Now, of course, it depends on the, the option strategy, but uh, uh, options offer this flexibility to manage the currency risk. And so, because uh, we are able to, uh, to have this upside participation and if the downside risk are kept, we are able to reduce the hedging cost. Um, so this is uh, one of the, the main points. And another advantage uh, using options because they are less sensitive uh, to market to market. So let's say if the, the currency um, changed 10% with the NEDF, NEDF you have a you show 10% mark to market, negative mark to market. But with the options, it will not be the same thing. Okay? So for those companies and abuses that face some liquidity constraints, options are a, a better alternative uh, solution, okay, other than using NEF. So as I said, you know, uh, also uh, uh, depends, we need to understand uh, the risk profile of the client, we need to understand the goals uh, in this hedging problem that uh, the client wants to, to build. Uh, and at the end of the day, the, the hedging strategy will be completely tailor-made take in consideration the market conditions and the risk profile of the client. And that's uh, that's an interesting one, right? Um, but I, we understand that it's a bit hard to pinpoint uh, a failure in FX risk management in Latin America, but one of the things I can think of is typically, well, the, the idea of FX management is to mitigate the risk, right? But when you are in the case of a country in Latin America where you have particularly high inflation, it also means very high volatility in your FX rates, right? So you can be hedging, but ending up having an ultra negative mark to mark because 
you could have made so much more money not hedging. Uh, the other one I can think of is when it comes to credit lines hedging. Typically, corporations may be interested into hedging their liabilities in Latin America, right? As a European company or an American one. Here again, to just make sure, okay, it can, we need this credit line in Chilean so and not peso. Uh, we cannot circumvent it, but um, what happens in case Chilean peso goes through the roof or the other way around? And here again, it comes down to how well and how much do you want to protect yourselves against such uncertainty, right? But uh, super interesting one, that is. Thanks a lot for that. You've touched upon it a lot, um, so let's let's dive into it. Can you quickly remind what FX risk is for our audience? So just this camera, we've, we've done quite some episodes lately around FX, um, but just a quick reminder and uh, ex try to explain it if possible within the Latin America context. No, it's, it's always good to revisit the, some terminology uh, and approach. Uh, pretty much FX uh, risk is the potential loss, but also the potential gains that a company may have and may experience due to the currency fluctuations. Uh, I, I like to say that risk doesn't mean only it's a, it's a problem. The risk is it's not only your enemy, but uh, you can take advantage of the risk. You know, risk can make your revenue more profitable. Uh, or uh, you, can, you can see your, your revenue lowered the currency uh, fluctuation. So currency risk is both. It's the potential loss that you may have due to the currency fluctuation over the time, but also uh, potential gains due to the currency fluctuations over, over the time. Crystal clear. And so why is, why is foreign exchange risk management such an essential part of corporate risk when it comes to Latin America? Like, Obviously, we've teased and talked about it already, but can you summarize why it's so essential in this particular region and how it differs from other regions? Yeah, I'll give you a very clear example. If you take uh, the Brazilian annual volatility in the last 12 months, which uh, was around 16%. Uh, if you run uh, a valid risk at a 95% confidential interval, uh, in a cash flow, let's say $100 million for 12 months, this valid risk will be $26 million of losses. Okay, so yeah, in a portfolio, a cash flow of $100 million, your potential loss will be 26% of this amount, which is huge, which is huge. Okay, uh, we don't have the same currency volatility in the developed markets, uh, even though it's getting higher, but uh, it's not that higher when compared to, to emerging markets such as Latin. No? Um, so Brazil, 16%, one of the most volatile currencies in the world. Uh, Colombian peso, 15, uh, Chilean peso, 12%. Okay? So all these major Latin currencies uh, shows higher volatility and high volatility can translate to to higher currency risks yeah. so this this idea so because that is so important uh, business uh, with exposure to to effects uh, risks to have a very solid effects risk management program well, you know now the, the main goal is to to reduce this currency volatility 
né, in order to reduce né, uh, the fluctuations in, in their cash flow. Né? É, primeiro, this idea, the, the, the essence of the currency risk is to reduce the currency volatility over the time. Okay? So when we reduce the volatility of the currency in your, in your cash flow, you have more stable né, revenues, you have more stable liabilities because you don't have more uh, uh, higher impact of the currency uh, in, on these uh, exposures. So when I think about and understand all this complexity in Latin America, are corporations not just tempted to say, okay, well, if it, I'm just going to deal as much as possible in dollars. You mentioned, I think Ecuador started um, using the dollar as one of the main currencies, right? I believe Costa Rica is the same. Is, is it a possibility for corporations to just say, okay, guys, if, I don't know, 90% of my suppliers are anyways not Latin America based, but will probably accept dollars. Let's deal like this and try to convince my customers to also deal in dollar. Is it is it a practice in Latin America or not at all? Yeah, this can be done. This can be done. We have seen many corporations uh, adopting this practice. Uh, uh, what they are trying to do is to seek a natural hedging. Yeah. So their supply chain is in dollars. Uh, their buyers is are in dollars. So we don't have any currency risk, any currency mismatch. So this that is this is a good press, but uh, not always this is possible. Not always this is possible. Um, but uh, when this is possible, of course, it's, it's, it's a good strategy yeah? because we don't need it to 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 build a hedging problem yeah? to address the currency risk. Uh, we don't need to build an in-house team or outsource yeah? uh, this hedging to a tax risk uh, consulting company and so on. That's, uh, good advantages, but but in some cases uh, you don't have this opportunity to do that, uh, or your customers are not uh, not be happy with this. They want to pay local currency. Uh, they they need to pay the local currency. So in order to gain uh, competitiveness, you need to work with the local currency of the country. A good example of that is SaaS companies when they they try to be more international. They want to commercialize them to, to sell their SaaS software, their, their, their SaaS products in other markets. They need to charge the client the license of the product in local currency and not in their basic currency, the reporting currency. Okay? Um, so when they, they, they charge their customers in local currency, generates the currency risk. So they need to manage this currency risk. This has some um, FX hedging changed over the years. Like, so options aren't a new technology or a new, let's say, um, <clears throat> financial tool. Technology has changed quite a lot, nonetheless, though, over the last 10 years or so. How have you seen the evolution of just hedging as a uh, technology uh, or as a strategy uh, become more complex or versatile or adapt or progress over, over the last? Uh, that's a good question. And so what is that? So a good example of this movement in terms towards innovation is, is the agro. Uh, we are not a, a traditional uh, effects consulting firm. We are using a lot of uh, technology in our approach regarding uh, currency risk. Uh, we are adopting a lot of machine learning 
Bayesian regression, and now uh, AI in your tools. So the idea of the Agro is to take a more holistic approach to effects risk management, in particular in emerging market currencies, due to all the effects that I mentioned here, volatility, interest rate differential, in order to provide a more tailor-made solutions to our clients. And always using technology. This is the idea. So because that, uh, I don't like to say that we are advisory. We are, we are, we are, we lean more to be a fintech. Okay. So this, uh, in the last three years, we have been developing uh, a couple of tools. Yeah, that right now is in a platform web-based where our clients can access yeah, and use our tools there. So. Um, there are many things that uh, the users can do in your platform. The first one is to, to gain access to market data, trends, analysis to take a more effects decisions. Uh, they are able to, to, uh, to use Monte Carlo simulations, which is a very uh, sophisticated statistics technique yeah, to model potential outcomes of the, the currency bears. Uh, he can be he is able to incorporate inputs like volatility, skewness, amount, maturity, and the platform will bring different outcomes that because different market uh, conditions because as as you have flexibility in the pool inputs like uh, change the volatility and skills you are able to create different market uh, conditions and analyze the performance of different hedging promise in such environment so some most of the time we create the clients né? Uh, create three uh, market conditions uh, worst case scenario neutral scenario and best case scenario so through the platform he's able to see okay this had the strategy performance in this way in this environment in this in this one so okay uh, I need to protect against the worst case scenario so I want this one because my risk profile at uh, I have this profile. So this one is the best head strategy according to my risk profile. So in this way, you can see the, uh, the statistical evidence and take a more from a decision. The bigger it is to remove the motion of the trader, remove uh, the motion of the trader team in terms, okay, I need to use an EDF or no, I need to use this because the market goes to seven, eight, nine. No, that, that is not that. That is to remove this and apply more data-driven decisions uh, into the trader team. So this is it. So uh, using that, this innovation, using this new way, new approach to FX hedging, the clients can uh, put more solid hedging problems in place, be able to uh, maximize the upside uh, uh, participation, this hedge problems, able to reduce the outside risk considerably. Uh, and in the end of the day, doing all this with a lower cost because he is optimizing all the steps to build their hedging uh, structure. So, technology overall, such as actual computing, the rise of fintechs, and whatnot, would you say that's the biggest change in? FX risk management over the last decade? Yeah, I'd say. And, and, and right now, the AI, I think things will change completely. Uh, we are seeing more and more 
companies and also effect specialists adopting AI uh, to run analysis, simulations, and, and the good stuff that we can, this all the technology can expedite the hedge analysis. This is the build. Yeah? We can expedite the analysis and, and, and be comfortable with the results. The accuracy of the numbers of the results is much higher when you have a machine running, you have an algorithm running the simulations, harder than some member of the company doing Excel, spreadsheets, endless data to analyze, etc. So I think machine learning, AI, all the technology, all the developments in this area is towards how you can create better effects risk management strategies. More accuracy. I think it's the, the word is accuracy. Uh, how to reduce the the noise in this analysis? Uh, how to make sure that uh, that strategy will work in that specific country, which has that specific uh, nuances in terms of volatility, interest rate differential, hedging cost, liquidity of the instruments, etc. So using this technology, we'll be able to. Uh, but you get a much more solid uh, effects risk management problems. Awesome. So this, you you mentioned earlier uh, a term uh, NDF. Could you explain NDFs? Like what are NDFs and how do they work? No, for sure. Uh, non NDF stands for for non deliverable forwards. Né? which are derivative contracts designed for hedging currencies in markets uh, with limited convertibility. Né? Uh, they operate as agreements between two parts, né? typically a company and a financial institution, your counterpart. Né? Uh, so you exchange the difference between the agreed upon forward exchange rate and the prevailing spot rate at maturity. Pretty much is that you exchange uh, the rates, uh, and also another feature is that NDFs uh, don't involve physical delivery uh, of the underlying currencies. So this is the main uh, feature. Uh, so it makes uh, NDFs uh, ideal for managing exposure to non-comfortable uh, or restricted currencies. It's a big advantage. Okay, so that would mean if I contract an NDF with you, Mateus, for like, I don't know, a hundred million Chilean soul, um, at maturity, the value of the soul would have been 120 million. You will only transfer me 20 million, basically. That's what it means. You will not send me the whole contract. You're just sending me the difference, correct? Yes, correct. It's only the difference in the settlement, you have the PNL, the profit and loss. So you'll be receiving yeah, uh, the profit or paying the losses to the institutional uh, counterpart. But it's exactly as I said, it's just the difference between uh, the, the, the for the rate against the rates at the maturity. Super interesting. And so why is that particularly relevant when we look at a restricted currency? That, that's a good question. Uh, uh, NDFs have uh, gained prominence in, in Latel for several reasons. And so first, they provide flexibility 
by allowing by allowing business to hedge against currency uh, appreciation or depreciation. Of course, is the many reason. Okay. Uh, second, NADFs uh, can be cheaper than than option strategies or even forward contracts as well. Okay. Uh, I mean, just for from the transaction cost per perspective and not the interest rate differential. This is, is another is another thing. Uh, also, NADFs contracts can uh, they are off the shelf products in many financial institutions. In the region, né? É, in other in other words, né? Companies can find them in, in almost all banks uh, across the country. No? Uh, banks are very used to uh, to offer NADFs to to their clients because they can find NADFs has a, a, a huge liquidity in discount in those countries uh, when you compare with forwards. Né? Also, NADFs you can go. Uh, far regarding the tenor of this contract. So you can place a uh, six months, 12 months uh, a tenor. When you compare with the forwards, né, most of the time you are not able. The banks limit cap your, your tenor to 30 days, 60 days, maximum. maximum. Because um, as you said, EDF you need to pay just just the, the difference. Uh, while the forward you need to uh, do the whole amount, the whole amount, which means it's more Risker from the counterpart perspective. So because that NADF is is more popular, more traditional uh, product in, in, in such countries. So it's cheaper, it's easier to deliver, it's less risky for the bank. I'm gonna put you a bit on the spot here, Mateus, no pun intended, but why would all the companies not use NDFs all around the world? Why is forward even existing then? This is a good question. <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> uh, when we look at the developed markets, né, um, Europe né, in general, uh, along with the UK, US, Canada, they tend to use forwards harder than LEDFs. Uh, I think pretty much because uh, the risk of these contracts. Uh, I think uh, the counterparts see that these developed markets less risk to offer forwards harder than NEDFs. This is, is, a, is a one thing. Yeah. Uh, and another thing is because just the difference. Yeah. So that allow you to... Uh, yeah, I think it's the same. This is a good question. I, I need to investigate this a bit better. But uh, if you go to Africa, all emerging markets, um, yeah, you see the NDF being used much more than forward. In Brazil, you can, you can use it forwards, but as I said, it's just for short-term hedging, NDF for long-term hedging. And each one, we compare the pricing, there's a, there's a large difference in pricing for those instruments. Okay, and I, and I see, so looking on the internet of all things at the same time, since that NDFs can also be, I mean, the NDF markets are also focusing on certain currencies. So maybe that's a product that is developed by certain financial institutions only in particular countries. The ones I see here are Chinese Yuan, so typically a restricted currency, Indian Rupee, uh, South Korea Won, New Taiwan Dollar, Brazilian Real, Russian Ruble, 
Um, so that's that's maybe why as well. Actually, the MDF product in itself is made more available for those currencies. Maybe forward is more profitable for financial institutions than MDFs. But anyways, a good uh, a good follow up question definitely. <laughs> Thanks a lot for this, Matthews. So. Are there specific countries or scenarios where MDFs are more advantageous in Latin America in particular? I think uh, we've built up to this point, so the answer is quite obvious, but can you enlighten us on that? In Latin America specifically, are there countries where MDFs are more advantageous, if not mandatory? No, I would say there isn't an outfit answer here, because... Uh, the most adequate uh, instrument you depend on the market conditions, as I mentioned before. And uh, so, if you use, for instance, Mesh, Mesh, Colombia, uh, Chile, and Brazil, all these countries, they you are able to to put together your hedge strategy using NADFs. Okay, but that doesn't mean that NADF you be the most adequate one. Uh, you depend a lot. Uh, different components. Né? As I said, the risk tolerance of, of the businesses uh, and the hedging costs. I'd say the hedging cost is the most important component that you need to understand when you are building a hedging strategy. Né? So NDFs can um, can work very well in, in a specific market condition, while options can, can work very well in another specific condition of the market and different uh, risk tolerance. Né? So I, I think uh, the the builders they need to understand these components and try to identify what is the best instrument to them, uh, how they approach uh, the currency risk and the strategy they're using. You depend a lot of their budget, their risk tolerance, uh, and so on. So I will not say that NDF is the best one in Mexico or the best one in Brazil. No, depends on the the market conditions and the profile of the business. In the end of the day, what do they want to protect? How much they want to protect? I think this 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 is the, the idea. You mentioned a couple of cons about NDFs earlier. Are there any others that you didn't list? Any other like reasons why you wouldn't use NDFs even in Latam? Um, no, I think that the. And you would use a forward, for example? Yeah, usually we are seeing clients using forwards for short-term hedgings, okay? Uh, 30 days or 20 days, maximum 60 days, they are using for For uh, tenors higher than this, six months or 12 months or one year and a half, they tend to use NDF or option uh, strategies. Yeah. Um, see, in terms of flexibility, and are NDFs not good? Are NDFs not good for short term, or are forwards? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Businesses tend to use forwards because it's easier to set up this instrument with the counterpart. Okay, but sometimes uh, for an NDF, the business must to set a ISDA or and also a, a credit support annex with the counterparts. Okay. For forwards, most of the time they don't need to do this paperwork. They they, they have a relationship with the with the bank. I I want to to book a forward, and just book a forward. You just call to the fax desk and book a forward. They don't need to do any paperwork, authorizations, etc. So it's much uh, 
uh, convenient, convenient from this perspective, okay? So because of that, most of the time. Cool. So moving beyond NDFs then, what other hedging instruments are popular in Latin? So you mentioned forwards and options. Um, what are the other, well, so forwards for short term, options as an alternative to NDFs. What other like hedging instruments are popular? And like you broke down there, right? You would use like a forward for more short term contracts, NDF for longer term. Can you also give like why you would use specific ones? In the region? No, for sure. No, a part of the NDF. So we have forwards, we have options, cross currency swap, where I enable you to hedge also the interest rate differentials uh, and, and swaps, vanilla swaps. I have this four or five uh, instruments. Again, each one provides different flexibility. Each one can be tailored to specific risky profiles. Uh, I think that the, 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 most, of, most of them. Um, and we need to analyze, and I think that a very solid hedging problem view depends on what is the benchmark of the company, what do they want to, to protect. And I, uh, I want to only protect my revenue, I want to maximize this. So it depends on the answer of the company, we, we, need, we can hedge just with the NDF or a vanilla option or some more sophisticated options strategies or uh, if I have a, a long-term debt with a different uh, with a different interest payments principal I may use to use a cross-currency swap instead of place any DFs. if I'm in a negotiation for example let's say in the MA uh, situations now uh, I have a specific deal Maybe it's a local company selling some mistakes for other offshore uh, company or other business uh, abroad, uh, but I'm not fully certain if they go if they do you go through. Okay, I know there's a FX risk because I'm pricing my company in local currency, but uh, the the buyer potentially you buy you buy the company using dollars or euros, so there's a a currency risk in the transaction. No? But uh, for example, I'm not completely certain if the deal goes through. If I hedge this exposure using NDF, I'm assuming that the, the deal will go through. So I will have obligation at the maturity. Okay. Uh, so so what will happen? Yeah? If the deal doesn't go through, yeah, the position be negative. I, I will have a loss and I will not have the deal. Okay, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, the company will find uh, itself in a big trouble. Yeah? So the idea is to understand which derivative will be the best one for this specific situation. May it's better just to buy a vanilla or, or option vanilla. So uh, I have the right to protect against scarce risk, but I don't have the obligation. So it's a completely different story. Okay, so. This way, it can be protected and not have any any collateral damage if the deal doesn't go through. Uh, or I can use a deal contingency hedging, which is is another uh, type of a structure. Yeah, it's a it's a prize a structured product. And inside of a deal contingency hedging, you have a plate of forwards and options inside of this product. Right? 
é, if, the, if the particular goal, né? if the deal doesn't go through, I'm, uh, I don't have any, any obligation. If the deal goes through, I'm protected. Okay? Of course, each one of the derivatives have their own, uh, own cost. We need to understand this as well. Makes a lot of sense, Matheus. I think you've touched upon it a bit earlier in this, uh, in this interview, but can you maybe break down for us how is the IPO approaching the FX risk management space, in particular in LATAM, and with the various solutions available, what makes the IPO approach particularly suited for LATAM? Certainly. Uh, the IPO takes a holistic approach to FX risk management in LATAM. Uh, we provide a custom as a solution tailored to the unique challenges of, of the of the region, uh, combining technology, uh, uh, for instance, machine learning, AI, uh, Bayesian regressions, and very like statistical uh, approach. Um, and with additional with your local expertise. Right now, we are building a, a very strong team in Brazil. Okay? Yeah, in order to be closer to our clients and, and, and potential clients. Our goal is to empower abusers with the tools and knowledge they need to navigate in this dynamic FX uh, landscape successfully. That is the, the main goal. Uh, for instance, through, uh, throughout our FX risk management platform, our clients can uh, gain access to market data, trends, uh, analysis to make a more effects decision. Um, they can use Monte Carlo simulation to model potential outcomes, incorporating different inputs such as volatility, skewness, amount, maturity to calculate potential loss, now, which is the, the value to risk. Uh, they can develop uh, tailored effects hedge strategies even compare the performance of each strategy considering uh, factors such as hedging cost and, and their impact on, on exposure. Yeah? From the liquidity perspective, no? the collateral perspective, yeah? uh, we can add the tools uh, are able to evaluate various hedging instruments, as you mentioned here, yeah? NEDFs, uh, different option structures, uh, cross-currency swaps, swaps, and so on. From the liquidity perspective, né, analyzing their collateral implications. Né? So, for those companies that uh, that uh, that it, that it has lower liquidity in their cash flow, they need to understand the liquidity implications of such instruments. Né? Uh, when we deploy our tools né, for the industry investment, uh, let's say fund manager, institutional investors. We have created a, a, a tool that is able to compare uh, different cash flows in terms of uh, a, a cash flow of hedging and uh, another cash flow without hedging, but looking from the IR perspective, looking from the performance of the, the, the cash flow. So we can assess the impact of the currency hedging on the fund's model's performance and compare cash flows with and without hedging. So what we are creating is a, is a number of statistical tools that, that, will, um, that will provide more statistical insights, more data for our clients to take more from our decisions. Good. Yeah. But this tells the difference between costs of 
the cost of hedging in LATAM versus other regions. And is it because of this complexity in this whole, the main takeaway I have from this whole episode is the complexity in LATAM versus other regions. A, because you just have so many different economies that are doing very differently with different currencies on top of that. And on top of that, some of them are restricted and all have very different um, currency policies as well. Is the cost of hedging higher in Latin versus other regions? Uh, and if so, how can how do businesses manage that? How do you how do you go about managing that remediation? Certainly, that, that's a very interesting question. The hedging costs in Latin is influenced significantly by the interest rate differential, as I mentioned in the beginning. Uh, so making the relativity higher compared to regions with lower interest rates. Okay? Uh, when Latin countries have higher domestic interest rates, uh, than those in major currencies like the US dollar or the euro, it's can increase the cost of the hedging. Okay? So it's just uh, so let's consider Brazil again as example. Uh, in recent years, Brazil has experienced relatively high domestic interest rates due, due to uh, its efforts to combat inflation. Uh, um, more and uh, pretty much more, uh, after the, the COVID pandemic. And so by 2021, uh, the hedging cost to hedge uh, the BRL back to dollar was 8.4%. Uh, in 2022, it was 6.7%. Uh, and currently, the hedging cost is around 336 3.9% uh, per year. Okay? Why is it reducing? Because um, for too many reasons. First, the Brazil Central Bank is cutting their interest rate, the Selic rates. Uh, recently, and second, the Federal Reserve is doing the opposite movement. Uh, they are hiking their interest rates. Okay? So, the hedging costs are reducing because the difference is reducing uh, between the, the interest rates. Uh, and you can use the same, um, the same uh, knowledge for Colombia Peso. The Colombian Central Bank is also uh, hiking their rates to, 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 to curb inflation. Mexican peso, the same thing. Uh, Chilean peso, the same thing. Yeah. I think overall, yeah, the, the overall uh, economic situation in the globe is, is the same. But uh, when you compare uh, the hedging cost between euro and dollar, you see you not uh, hit 80% as we saw in the BRL. This will be much lower okay? because the interest rates in, in, in both countries are much lower. Okay? So when you have a higher interest rate in one country and lower interest rate in another country, you have higher hedging costs. I prefer another terminology to refer to hedging costs. Uh, I like to say hedging pact and not hedging costs. And why hedging pact? Because the costs, you depend on the direction of the trade. Okay? If you are buying dollars and selling uh, local currency, Mexican peso, Brazilian and so on, Okay, that's a cost. You are against the curve. But um, so if you need to protect some liability in dollar, okay, you are against the uh, against the curve. But uh, if you're exporter, your revenue is in dollar, you need to hedge selling dollars and buying local curves. So you are the opposite uh, way of the curve. So this is not a cost anymore. This interest rate differential is a positive carry. You have a pickup in your head so you can you are able to maximize your revenue because you'll be converting much more let's say brazil real with the same amount of dollars okay so 
I like to say is a hedge impact this interest rate interest rate differential rather than a hedging cost because it depends on the direction of the trade and direction of the protection. And how what can businesses do to minimize their hedging impact if they have to operate in between two regions that have a high interest rate differential? Are there any strategies businesses can do? Yeah, first we need to understand uh, the duration of your hedging. We need to understand if there are uh, window through the this interest rate differential curve that provides uh, opportunities to hedge for a lower cost. So it's not because I have a 12 months uh, maturity that I, needs, that I need to hedge straight 12 months. Maybe I, need, I can hedge three months and then roll it to additional three months and so on. Maybe doing this is cheaper than to hedge straight 12 months. Okay, this is one of the, uh, the things that you can do to reduce the hedging cost. Other thing is to work with the hedge ratio. Okay, so the, the first question that we we need to uh, to ask to those who want to hedge is what portion of your cash flow or your portfolio you want to hedge, you want to protect. Né? You want to be fully hedged, means zero zero currency risk, or uh, you be né, you are your risk profile will allow you to have some such risk. But at the same time, you have some upside participation. Okay, uh, depends on the hedge ratio. So if you had 100% of your exposure, you have a higher hedging cost when you had 50% or 75%. Okay, that's uh, another element that uh, business can can work with. Now, what is the hedging the hedge ratio that will reduce my my risk, but at the same time will allow me to to manage the hedging cost. And the third one, I would say, uh, work of options. Option strategies, as I mentioned in the beginning, is three components of the pricing, interest rate differential, volatility, and time to decay. But because they have three uh, components, yeah, we are able to work uh, with the options, analyzing the market conditions. So, so the volatility reduce, okay, I may have a cheaper hedging, because the, the volatility reduce, or uh, even though I have a high interest rate differential, the short term of the the option might be cheaper than I place any death, for example. So it's each case is like is a particular case. You cannot like uh, we, as I said in the in the beginning, we don't have all win uh, answer for all situations. Uh, so we need to understand the market conditions, the risk profile. Uh, what if the client wants to hedge in order to reduce the hedging cost? Now, unfortunately, that's like there isn't a free lunch, so we need to be very flexible, be very creative, work with these market conditions to take uh, advantage of uh, these components, and of course, uh, understand uh, these tools. Now, we need to understand these hedging contracts uh, uh, to be able to deploy the best hedging possible. Matheus, thank you so much for that. Um, that's quite an episode on LATAM and we see much, much clearer about foreign exchange risk management over there. Is there anything you'd like to add in regards of the different topics we tackled uh, that we didn't have the chance to touch upon maybe? 
Não, I think it was a very extensive uh, conversation. Uh, we covered the hedge costs, the different hedge uh, strategies, um, uh, the, the volatility of these currencies in, in those markets, what triggered this volatility. Né? We discussed the inflation, we discussed the actuation of the central banks and, the, and also the role of the government to... Uh, Uh, to tackle uh, the currency value né, against the dollar, against other currencies. So I think we covered uh, most of uh, the elements and most of the, the hot topics in Latin when regarding hedging. 100%. And thanks a lot for that. Very cool. If people would like to know more about you specifically, your operation in Latin America or the Aglo, where should they go? No, yeah, for more information on Diago and how we can help, né, how our comprehensive solu solutions for uh, emerging markets, in particular for Latin, uh, I invite everybody that is listening to us to visit our website. Uh, it's diago.com. So there you'll be able to see our solutions, uh, who we are, our team, uh, how to get in contact with one of your FX specialists. Né? Uh, or, né? Uh, we can you can send an email to to us. It's Diablo. Uh, it's, sorry, it's info at diablo.com. We can uh, send an email straight to to us. Amazing. We put all the links in the description and also add your personal LinkedIn profile. It does that for you, so people can uh, find you easily. Mateus, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure to share a little bit of my experience. And I hopefully that will be very useful for everybody that is listening to us.